You guys excited to be here this morning? Okay. I know you're not all super charismatic, but it's okay to be a little vocal, okay? Make me feel better this morning. Uh, John chapter 13. If you guys would turn with me to verse 31 to give you kind of the backstory here. Uh, Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples, and interestingly enough, like Jesus moves into this section of the Last Supper where he gets down on his hands and knees, he begins to wash the feet of the disciples uh, with his own cloak, and right after this, after Jesus washes their feet and he serves them, and he basically tells them, like, you should serve others, like, I have served you, and they're like, no, 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 we can't serve you, like, you're God, and he's like, no, you should serve others, like, I have served you, and then uh, there's this whole section where it talks about Judas and Jesus revealing the one that would betray him by this morsel of bread, and it's given to Judas, and then uh, Judas is asked, or it gets pulled out of dinner at that point, and then coming right out of that, so now Judas is gone, the one that would betray him is gone, and then Jesus goes into this dialogue that we're going to talk through this morning. He says this in verse 31. Are you guys there? If you're not, it's on. Okay. Uh, he says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, little children, not children, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, now, the Jews so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Anybody heard that verse before? Most of you probably haven't memorized. So just to give you guys some, a, a little backstory, leading into today, the last few months have been super crazy for me uh, as a pastor, feeling like ups and downs, not really knowing what's going on, not really knowing what we're returning back to or when we're returning back, which of you I'd see, which of you I won't see. Last night, I did not sleep at all. I've literally just been like torn up inside, like feeling anxious and nervous, and it's almost like I'm preaching for the first time all over again because I'm just used to looking at that dumb camera for the last three months. Um, so it's been really weird working into today. And for three months, I kid you not, it's been like praying, God, what would you have me share when we get back? When we get back? Like, what is on your heart? What do you want in your church to know? And I'll say this. The last three months, I think I've seen the best of the church, and I've seen the worst of the church. And when I say that, um, I, there were times when I was so, and I'm not just talking about Anthem, please understand. I'm talking about, like, church as a whole. But there were times when I felt like the church was stronger than ever, like, that this was such a cool season for the church to come through, to actually have an appreciation for why we gather. I mean, part of me anticipated coming together with you guys this morning because I miss your faces. Like, believe it or not, I do have this pastoral heart in me, and I really like people. Putting me in a basement in front of a camera for three months has not been good for my health. And every weekend we'd go down there, I'm like, oh, I hate this. You know, I hate just talking to a camera. I want to see people. If I offend somebody, I literally want to see the offense on their face and see their hands cross. I want to talk to them afterwards. Like, I want to know that that's there. I want to work through things. Like, this, this is church. And so uh, there are things that are just indicative of church that you only get when you're being groups of people together like this. I mean, even sharing in this worship time prior is like, that, 
that's a super sweet time. Whether you take advantage of that time or not, it's an amazing time for a group of collective of people to come together in a time where the world is so polarized and so fractured that we come together under one banner in Jesus and we sing to his name. Like there's something very unifying about what we're partaking in this morning. And, and you can't just make this stuff up. Like Jesus is the glue that holds this whole thing together. And so leading into this morning, uh, again, like I, I had seen, seen seasons where in the last three months where it felt like I saw the best of the church. Like I watched people be overtly generous. I watched people um, care for one another in ways that I had never seen before. I watched community be- being built. I watched people rally around one another and support one another and lift each other's up. I also saw another side of things in the last few months that was actually fairly discouraging for me as a pastor, where I, I watched as the church becomes very polarized over cultural issues. And literally, brothers and sisters of Christ are being split right now as we speak. Some of you in this room, like, you don't hate each other, but you have odds with, you're at odds with one another because you see things a little bit differently. I watched people choose sides on things, and sometimes even when it meant writing off a brother or a sister. I watched social media stones be thrown left and right over the last few months. And sometimes, like right now, it, it just, to be honest, it made me sick to my stomach. I had this experience this, just a couple nights ago. We were up camping with my family. And um, I don't know if, how many parents are in the house. Soon-to-be parents. You don't really count, but I want you to raise your hand. Give it up for you. Um, but we were up camping a couple nights ago, and uh, I had this moment with my son where uh, I was standing in a distance, and I, I know when my youngest freaks out and He's crying that his brother was probably bossing him around and being really controlling. And so Judah was saying things that were just like really controlling. And he was trying to dictate the way Jonah played a game, Judah, Jonah. And so I grabbed my oldest son. I didn't literally grab him. I said, come here. He's almost as big as I am. And I said, "Um, dude, uh, I know you can do better than that. As a parent, we like sit our kids down sometimes and we say things like, um, this is contrary to what you've been taught. It's contrary to what we've told you in the past. Like, why are you acting the way you are? And as a parent, your response is like, that's not the way that you were raised. You know better. And this is sort of like a moment with Jesus where he's, he's making a statement to his disciples in a very intimate moment when the betrayer is even gone, where he's got the handful that are committed, like, there with him, and he's making a statement to them about his love with the Father, about how he's glorified in the Father, and the Father's glorified in him, and he's basically making the statement, like, I am God, and God is glorified in me, and I am glorified in God, meaning, like, everything Jesus did, you saw God through him and everything that God has done Jesus was part of and we are one and there's a statement of like the Godhead and who he is how big he is and then he he boils things down and he gets into these statements on love and it's sort of like this moment where um, he Jesus is almost saying um, don't forget how you were raised don't forget what you were taught I mean this is day before Jesus is going to go to his death. Don't forget what you saw. Don't forget the love that you carried. And so Jesus goes into this discourse 
and says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, there was a, a man, uh, maybe some of you are familiar with, his name is Tertullian. Anybody ever heard that name before? Anybody have a kid that name? Tertullian? It's a sweet name. Uh, you don't hear about him very much anymore. It's sad. Uh, but Tertullian was this guy. Uh, go back third century AD, or the, the early years. Tertullian lived and he ministered um, at that time. And he was one of the, the greatest early church fathers. You can read a lot about him. Go study him. Like his life was pretty amazing. He was actually the first man that, that actually used the word Trinity to describe the nature of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was the one who kind of coined that term. Uh, he lived at a time in the third century where Christians were, were literally at odds. There was intense, like a real intensity culturally where the world was coming at Christians. They didn't like Christians. They were persecuting Christians. Christians were facing it. And, and, and so the, the world was criticizing believers in the church. And Tertullian was this man, he was an apologist, which means he, he devoted his life to defending the Christian faith. And he defended the faith against critics, people that were coming at the church with all these sort of speculations and whatnot. And so he was quick to point out that it wasn't any particular theological or philosophical argument that would ultimately persuade non-Christians to the truth of Jesus. Philosophy won't lead them to Jesus. Theological things won't lead them to Jesus, necessarily. But what, what, what Tertullian believed was that it was the love that Christians had for one another that actually baffled and captivated non-believers the most. And, and so wrap that into kind of what we're studying here with Jesus, that there's something about the love that exists amongst believers that you can't find anywhere else, that the world has yet to see anywhere else. When it exists in its whole, like its most, its, its total, its whole form, um, there's something so sweet about it that the world actually sees Jesus in that love, in the way we treat one another, that, it's re that Jesus is revealed to the world through that love. And so Tertullian said this, he said, it is mainly the deeds of, of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another, how they're ready even to die for one another. No tragedy causes trouble in our brotherhood. The family possessions, which generally destroy brotherhood among you, create fraternal bonds amongst us. One in mind and soul, we do not hesitate to share our earthly goods with one another. And he ends with this, all things are common amongst us except our wives. <laughs> and as I've, been, as I've been kind of mulling over what to say this morning and, and kind of sitting back and seeing, catching a pulse on what's happened culturally, what's happening in our world, like all the things that are pulling Christians this way and that, I kept imagining our time back together and wondering what, they, what this day would be like. Wondering who'd be here, prayerfully considering what you guys needed to hear this morning. Um, and again, I found myself so anxious leading into this morning. But I think the reason why I felt the way I did, honestly, is because like a parent, you really care about the church. I care about her. And when I say her, I don't just mean you. I just mean I care about the church. That the church globally would rise up 
as the group that Jesus died for, that they would risk their lives for the sake of the gospel, that they would love each other like no other group of people loves each other on this earth. And we talk a lot about evangelism. The greatest evangelism you can do in your life is love a brother or sister in Christ. That's the best. And it's partially where we're failing the most. When we allow the factions to get in, to pull us apart, to, to disrupt the church, we, we remove Jesus from the center. And so for the last few months, as the staff has kind of been leading into our regathering, we've been having these conversations about what's church going to look like? Are things going to change? You know, do we just want to blow the whole thing up and go do something totally different? Not to freak you guys out. Like, what, what is God doing? And one of our conversations was, uh, we talked about, like, cookies. Like, has anybody here ever made chocolate chip cookies and you've put the ingredients together in the wrong order and seen how they come out? Have you guys ever done that before? On quarantine, like, my kids and I wanted some cookie dough one night. And so I wasn't even thinking. I just, like, went into the, <laughs> I went into the kitchen and I just started throwing all the ingredients into the bowl and started mixing it all together. And what, it, what came out was really interesting. It did not look like cookie batter. And it, it was chunky, and it just did not taste right. And, and so I had one spoonful, and I'm good. You know, I don't really want any more. And so I made my kids, like, little, little bowls, little dishes of this cookie dough, and I give them each one, and they're like, no thanks. That stuff looks weird. And the ingredients were all there. But the process was not followed. The order was not proper. And so what came out was nothing that was pleasing to anybody. And sometimes with church, like this is kind of my own ramblings right now, is we are very quick to go serve the world, to go love people, completely void of God himself as believers. We're really quick to go gather as a church and do church together and do life together and leave Jesus in the other room. We're really quick to go into a worship time where we're there to praise and to honor and to worship his name and leave Jesus on the side. And so my challenge to you this morning is like, we got to get the order, the, the order right. And so if you look historically, like the Jews understood what it meant to love God and love others. I mean, that was part of their Shema. That was part of the, the, the Old Testament was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then Jesus comes onto the scene, and then he's asked the question, right? Like, what is the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus understood that it first starts with God, and then we begin to love people. And I think maybe the problem is that we just haven't started with God, we rush to love people because we live in a society that's hyper-focused on social justice. We live in a society that just wants to chomp at the bit to do anything good they can because doing good in and of itself is the religion that our culture exists in today. And we've completely written God off. And so as a church, like this is part of my commitment to you guys this morning is like I'm hoping we can consecrate this thing that we call church, Anthem Coeur d'Alene, and say, this thing is devoted to God this morning. Who knows what this is going to look like in the future? Who knows what's going to be part of it? Who knows how this is going to shape and morph in the months to come? Who knows what's ahead? But what we know for sure is that God is the center of everything we do, right? And if God is the center of everything, if he is the focus, 
if this really is about him and loving him, then the overflow of loving him begins to be that our life just bleeds him everywhere we go. People see him in us. We're kind, we're compassionate, we're patient people. We don't have to rush out and just try to do something good. The Spirit leads us by God's power. He's saying, I've loved you. You all people will know that not because you raised your hand in service, not because you did all the right things and checked all the right boxes. What is it that, mar- that was the mark of a disciple, a follower of Jesus? It was their love for one another. The world sees that. Because right now what the world sees is exactly what exists in the world. The same factions exist in the church that exist out there. And that seems like a really disgusting process, if you ask me. We've produced some cookies that are pretty icky. And the world's like, eh, no thank you. We'll not have one of those. Why? Because we've removed God from the batter. Like, he was the one we were to start with. And he's the one that, if he goes first and the thing gets mixed up, what it produces is something that is really pleasing to the world. We talked several months ago about um, us being the light of the world, the, the city on a hill, the salt of the earth, right? That does not happen unless God is the one moving the people to be that. Thanks, Courtney. And so this morning, part of, like, we'll get into some other stuff, but part of what I wanted to do was really take some time to consecrate what God's doing here at Anthem Coeur d'Alene and say, Jesus, this is yours. Like, first and foremost, no matter what we do, no matter what style things go or, you know, what we wear or what, what songs we sing, whatever, like, first and foremost, God, we need this to be about you because what overflows from being all about you and loving you is this life that begins to ooze you in everything that we do. And we have to start there. And I think that we'll spend some time at the end of the service praying for that. When we talk about, as a church, the fact that we want to influence our city. We want to be for the good of our city. I don't want to go do good things for the city. We want to be for the good of the city. And that good only comes through Jesus. And so we want to be a people that stand on the rock. That proclaim the grace the peace, the joy, the forgiveness of the Most High God. Invite people into relationship with him. Love each other the way God has called us to love one another, the way Jesus loved and served us so that the flavor and the aroma, the cookies that the church produces are amazing. Like everybody wants a little bit of them because they, they're all Jesus. They don't point back to any of us. So this is What Jesus is saying to them, like this new commandment I give you, I want you to love one another. Uh, And then there's this handful of ways, like if you're you're like me when you read this, and Jesus says um, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so also you love one another. You ask the question, like how, what does that look like? Anybody ever ask that when you read things like this? Like, I want to love, what is that? Give me some practical ways that I can actually love others. How do we do that? What does that look like? And I, I, I highlighted just a handful of ways that I think in the life of Christ, we saw him love and care for his disciples. One, he loved his disciples by spending time with them. In Mark chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, And he appointed twelve, so that he might, they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. It's always with God, 
sent by God. With God, sent by God. With God, sent by God. God first. God first. I mean, remember that in your life because there are seasons when everything else takes precedence, isn't there? There's seasons when everything else seems louder and more vocal than, than other things in your life, and you give credence to those things. You listen, you tune your eyes, your hearts, your ears, your time, your money to those things that are calling on you in this morning, like God saying, first God, first Him. The overflow of being with Him is that you have this life that's lived for Him. The second thing is that Jesus loved them by bearing patiently with their struggles and stumbles and their stupid responses. Jesus was so patient with his disciples. He's sitting there at the Last Supper with a group of guys, some of which will betray him, um, some of which will, uh, will deny him, um, most of which will do something dumb at some point in their life. And Jesus gets down on his hands and feet and he begins to wash their their feet. Now, us knowing the rest of the story, it's easy to say like, yeah, well, he was Jesus. You know, of course he could do all that. They had no idea what was to come the next day. I want you to think right now about one person in your life that, that you've harbored unforgiveness towards, that you have bitterness towards. Think about one person in your life right now. What would it be like to wash their feet right now? Would that be odd? Would any of you feel odd about that? You can be honest. It's awkward. So we're going to do it right now. I want you to find that person. It would be odd. Jesus was being very intentional in modeling this for us. Taking off his own cloak, getting on his hands and feet, washing their feet as he's looking into the eyes of somebody that's literally going to stab him in the back. And then we know, fast forward into his death and his resurrection, that ultimately he was paying a price for all of us because all of us would stab him in the back at some point. We desperately needed his grace and his forgiveness that could only be accomplished through his work on the cross. Third thing, he loved his disciples by persevering through thick and thin and not allowing their faults and their failures to quench the fire of affection in his heart. His heart was never moved even when they did wrong. Is that not insane? I don't know about you, when somebody does something to me that upsets me or offends me, my heart is not good towards them. (laughs) Most of the time I'm like struggling, like how can I... How can I just uh, make peace of this, Lord? Like, I don't want to look at him like that. I don't always think about it. Like, Jesus had the ability to set aside the worst offenses, to focus on the person, to give them time, to let them know that they were valued, that he actually knew them. He persevered with them through thick and thin. He didn't allow their faults to dictate how his heart looked upon them. Fourth thing. He loved them by teaching them the truth. Even when sometimes it was really hard to grasp or it was offensive to them, Jesus taught them. And it's interesting because today, in our day and age, to love someone actually means to approve of or affirm um, whatever it is they believe about themselves or whatever they choose to do with their bodies like, or their money, their lives. Like, if you love them, it means you affirm or approve everything they do. Like, in our world today, it's interesting. Um, it's virtually impossible to say you're wrong, but you're loved. It's impossible in this world to say that. But yet, that's something that Jesus had the ability to do. Step into a hard situation share the truth with them, and still let them know that they are valued and they are known and they mean something in his eyes. And yet when we as Christians step into a situation 
We act like somebody's valued even though they've offended us. Um, and then when it cuts real deep, we basically say, I'm done with you. I love you, but I can't hang out with you. Isn't that like our reaction sometimes? And we've justified that statement as, as believers, actually. I, lo- I like you, but I don't love you. Or I love you, but I don't like you. Whatever, however you want to chalk that up. It's wrong. It's sin. It's not how God ex- planned for us to exist with one another. He wanted our love for one another to be like his love for us in that we trust him to give us his heart for other people. Start with God. God first. God first. Then we love others. Fifth, he loved them by praying for them constantly. Um, This is a quick story. A week ago, I preached at First Baptist Church uh, last Sunday. And Preparing for that message, I was just, I wanted to make sure that they kind of had a, a little snapshot of who I was and where I come from and my, my journey with Jesus and how I came to know him. And so as I was preparing for that, there, there was a section in my message where I was just recounting a handful of things that God's done, where these miraculous things have happened in my life, where God has stepped in and he's literally proven himself to me. Or it's like he's revealed himself to me in these little instances, so much so that 24 years later, I still love Jesus because I know he's real and I only want the real thing. So, I'm sitting there thinking while I'm, when I'm writing one night, I'm sitting there thinking about this one circumstance where uh, I was downtown at a coffee shop a few years ago, and I'm standing there, and this 18 or 19-year-old kid walks up to me, and he grabs me, and he goes, hey, man, uh, you know, I was just sitting there, and like, I think the Lord gave me this word for you, and I don't want to weird you out, but I think I need to share this with you. And so he goes into this word, unbelievable. I mean, it was very simple, unbelievable. For those of you that don't know, I, uh, a few years ago, my brother and I bought a coffee shop, a coffee business. And it was right when that offer was kind of made to us to buy this business. And I was really wrestling with like whether or not I was supposed to jump in. And I just wanted clarification from the Lord. And when he came up to me, he just said, it's an 18-year-old kid. He's like, hey, the Lord told me that you have a decision you're trying to make. And he says, yes. And I'm like, bro, that's crazy. Like, Call my wife right away. We're in. We're buying this thing. Like, find the money. <laughs> uh, I have lots of cash, so it didn't, that wasn't, that wasn't hard. I'm just kidding. That's a joke, you guys. I do not have lots of cash. <laughs> um, but, so I'm sitting there last weekend. I couldn't for the life of me remember what it was the guy shared with me, but I remembered the moment. There was a guy who came up to me in a coffee shop. He wanted to say something to me, and he prayed for me. Like, I, I could not remember for the life of me what he said. Uh, so I left that part out of my sermon. So yesterday, Tyler C. puts on this event down in the park, and I'm literally standing there at the stage watching people dance. It was really cool, and uh, people watching, and uh, this dude walks up to me, and a guy I know for a while starts talking to me. He's like, hey, I want you to meet my, my friend, and he introduces me to his friend. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, hey, what's your name? I'm like, I'm Chris. He's like, yeah, Chris is the pastor at Anthem, and so he's like making these connections. The guy's like, oh, cool, man. He's like, are there any other Chris's that are pastors at Anthem? I said, not that I know of. And he's like, he's like, dude, uh, I was at a coffee shop three years ago, and I had just come to know Jesus. And like the Lord gave me this word for you, and I walked up to the coffee shop, and I shared it with you. 
And he's like, I've literally spent the last three years wondering, like, did that dude think I was just weird? Like, was I way off? Because he's like, I was new to Jesus. I just didn't know. And, and he's like, so I just wondered if, it, like, if you thought I was strange or, like, whatever. I just always wondered what happened. And I go, that is the craziest thing. Like, last weekend, I was literally thinking about the circumstance, and I couldn't remember for the life of me what it was you said, but I could remember what you did. Like, you inconvenienced yourself to come across the coffee shop and to give a word to a man you did not know and pray for me, and it meant a lot to me. And he's like, I remember the word. And he just, like, rattled it off like he knew exactly what I was. He's like, I've thought about that for three years. And so there, there's something sweet about the church responding as the Holy Spirit leads us because those opportunities are around us all the time. Some of you have sat and prayed like, oh God, you know, how come you never give me those circumstances? How come I don't ever get those moments? Well, it's not that the moments haven't come. It's that you have been distracted and haven't responded when they've been there. And so God, I think, wants the church to actually move in a way where we're led by the Spirit to respond in those situations. I don't care how old you are. This kid was 18, like literally fresh off the bottle, off drugs, like sitting in a coffee shop and just recently given his life to Jesus and then is sharing this with a man he doesn't know. Like God can use anybody. And I just wonder how different our culture, our society would look if Christians actually put some Jesus eyes on and open up their ears and listen as he led them. And we weren't so distracted with our lives. So that's a big tangent, but Jesus loved them by praying for them constantly. He modeled that for them. He prayed for them. He shared with them. He led them into places where they could do the same. And he, he got them to a place where they began to trust him and know that they were being led by him. And so even when Jesus leaves, like he's entrusting the church to be led by a bunch of people that are responding to the Holy Spirit to actually lead his church. Jesus gave his like most prized possession, he handed it to a bunch of people that have the Holy Spirit within them to lead them with his discretion by his power as he says go. It's just insane to me to think about. Sixth thing is that he loved them by making the Father known to them. And so in the same way that Jesus says to them, um, uh, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and God uh, glorify him at once. Like in the same way that like God is glorified in Jesus and Jesus is glorified in God, there's also the sense that you and I are glorifying, we're revealing God to the world when we love one another. Is that not insane? Like there's something very supernatural about that. And some of you are like, oh, I just want, I want the power to lay hands on somebody and pray. No, how about you have the power to go love people the way that Jesus loved them and he'll make himself known to him, and it's just as supernatural as the dude that prays for somebody and they fall on the floor. So go love people the way that Jesus loved them. And the seventh one is this, that the greatest expression of love that Jesus had for them, that he had for us, was seen in Jesus' sacrificial death in our place, where Jesus bore our judgment of our sin in order that we would inherit eternal life. The greatest example of love that Jesus had for us was him laying down his life for us. And so back to the, this Last Supper setting, um, I, I was really convicted reading through this this last week because if you guys that were here in December, remember I got up here on stage at one point and just said, I think I have a joy problem. 
And this last week, I was sitting there thinking, I think I have a love problem. Maybe our church has a love problem. And when I say love problem, I don't mean like you suck at giving hugs. I mean like, I think that we suck at making Jesus the priority. <laughs> like at the core of love is our affection for him, the Father. That we know him. That we walk with him. That it's always God first. And the minute we remove that scenario, we make it all about us. And my thought this last week is that we've basically hijacked Jesus' love. If you know anything about hijacking, anybody studied hijacking at all? Not recently, huh? I did. Uh, crazy thing, 1962, more plane hijacks that year than any year before. There was like 12 in one year, um, plane hijackings. But, and I only say this because our only concept of hijacking is like somebody taking a car or a plane. But the definition of hijacking means to take something that was intended for one purpose and to rob it, steal it, commandeer it, and use it for something else. And so when somebody hijacks an airplane, they literally get on the plane, right? It's headed to Florida, and they're like, nah, we're going to Cuba. And, uh, and we're going to commandeer this thing, and we're going to use this for our purposes. Like, these people are under our control now. And sometimes what I think we do in life is we take the love that Jesus has put within us, and we sort of commandeer it, and we use it for our own platforms. We get on Facebook, we get on Instagram, we get on all these things, and we start saying things. And we do it under the guise, under the banner of Jesus. And please, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers at anything. I'm just saying we're, we're very guilty of like waving the banner of the love of Christ while also making our point in order to establish our platform, which does what in the end? It hijacks his love and he makes it about us. It makes it about what we're going to get out of it. The followers we're going to get, the reactions we're going to get, like we're going to rile people up and and Jesus, at the core of it, just wants to make himself known. Maybe the best way for us to love somebody is to literally delete our social media profiles and go hang out with our neighbor. Maybe there's some real tangible ways that we can do that um, without doing things that hijack our love because we, we do that in various situations in life where we maneuver to try to utilize what God's put in us to get something to benefit us. I mean, why do people hate the church so much and hate televangelists and hate, like, go down the list and all the things they hate? They hate them because they're hypocrites. They hate them because they used what God put in them to actually bring benefit to themselves. They did things, like, in God's name to try to bring attention to themselves and puff up their own image, and God's sick of it. Sick of it, because what it does is it totally hijacks the love that was meant to flow through us and reveal himself to others. And it shines the light on ourselves. This word that Jesus uses for love is this word agape, which you guys, most of you have probably known. And Jesus didn't simply say, just go love one another. Jesus was actually really specific about the kind of love that he was encouraging his disciples to share. So there's three different Greek words for love. There's this word eros, which is a romantic love. There's this word phileo, or a brotherly love, a love of friends. And then there's this word agape. And this word agape means just sacrificial love. Like, I'd do anything for that person. I'd give up anything. I would lay down my rights in order to make this person a priority. I would do whatever it takes to make sacrifice in my life to show love to them. 
And that's the overwhelming love that Jesus had for you and I. And so Jesus said that by our Christian brothers and uh, by loving our Christian brothers and sisters, we show to the world that we're truly his followers. Like they'll know your followers of Jesus. They'll know your Christians by your love for one another. That's what Jesus says. So, question. Um, do we have a love problem? Do you have a love problem? Does our church have a love problem? Do I have a love problem? In, in some regards, I, I think that when things are as polarizing as they are right now in our culture, um, we sort of just tend to latch on to these things. And I want to encourage you this morning that in the midst of all of this is Jesus. And we can get really passionate about the cultural battles swirling around us. And I'm not saying that some of those things aren't worthwhile causes to take a stand for. They are racism. We should stand up. What I'm saying is I hope that's backed by the love of Jesus. I hope that far beyond us just being people that did the right thing, said the right thing, posted the right thing, that people said there was something about the way that that person did that that just is different than the way anybody else would have. There was a kindness to that. There was a, a patience with that. Like there was something motivating that action that I cannot explain. And Jesus begins to unravel things and reveal himself to people through circumstances like that. Francis Schaeffer said this, we cannot expect the world to believe that the Father sent the Son that Jesus' claims are true and that Christianity is true unless the world sees some reality of the oneness of Christians. So if you're anything like me, you get to passages like this, and again, you ask practical questions, which I just want to leave you with a handful of these. Like, how do we practically love? How do we live this out? I think studying the life of Jesus, how did he model this for his disciples? Go read the Bible. I mean, Jesus' life was devoted to teaching his disciples how to follow him. He was leading them into places where they could learn to be like him, to do the things he did. He was teaching them his whole life. But, in crazy gong or a clanging symbol, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I have away, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. And then he goes into this famous section. Love is what? Patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not, it, it's not uh, uh, irritable or resentful. It, it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with truth. It says love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Does that not get you excited? Like love is. It does. It, like, it bears things. It believes in all things. It gives hope. It endures things. Love gives us the ability to stand in the midst of the moments we're in and continue to press on knowing that in God's power, he's going to make himself known now more so than ever. Like One of the things I've been thinking of in the last three months is that there are literally champions of the faith a thousand years ago that prayed to see the days we're seeing right now. Do you realize that? 
There's literally revivalists a hundred years ago that prayed to see days like we, that we see, where the, the, the soil's being tilled and hearts are being sort of drawn to something, but people don't know what. And, and everybody's confused and looking to latch onto something and figure out what is truth and what is right. And you live in a day and time where all you need to do is drop the anchor. <laughs> Tell them what's grounding. Tell them what motivates you. Tell them who's behind every single thing you do. It's Jesus. It's God first. And so before you go post, before you talk to, before you talk about, before you do anything, I think this 1 Corinthians 13 passage is an awesome passage for us to run a filter through. Like, you want to go say something? Well, ask yourself, is it patient and kind? (laughs) Is it envious or boastful? Is it arrogant or rude? Is it demanding my own way? Is it irritable? Is it resentful? Am I rejoicing in wrongdoing? I mean, like, I think if we asked ourselves those questions, we would probably refrain, refrain from a lot of the decisions we make in life, don't you think? Because it doesn't reveal Jesus. And so I'll, I'll end on this, ask the worship team to come up. Um, just a list of ways that I had kind of thought of that we can love others as Christ loved us. Uh, we can love by forgiving each other as Christ forgave us. Some of you are holding on to things in your life against other people. Some of those people are in this room. Time to let it go. It is like a bad cancer that will wreak havoc on your heart. Unforgiveness is the root of everything if you think about it. Ask any counselor who deals with addiction issues or anything. They will all say, if you go back to the root, somewhere along the line, it stemmed from unforgiveness. Don't let it in. Two, we love by serving one another in humility as Christ served his disciples by washing their feet. What are some practical ways you can wash the feet of those around you? Three, we love by generously giving to those in need from our financial resources and from our physical resources. We love by patiently bearing with one another when mistakes and in immaturity in people are manifest. No matter what they did, what they said, or how they did it, we're going to love them regardless, and we're going to bear with them patiently. Next, we, we love by deferring to one another in humility and seeking their best interests above our own. We, we love by speaking the truth in love, not by compromising simply because we fear somebody might be offended. We love by refusing to isolate ourselves from others, but by seeking relationships of love and affirmation and encouragement in the community. I mean, looking around at the body of Christ and thinking there's a lot of encouragement and edification that exists in this room. What are you doing to plant those seeds and to build each other up? We love by always being willing to suffer inconveniences and interruptions in our schedules if that's what what is called for, that's what's called for to serve and to help and encourage others. We love by not turning away from or scorning those who differ from us on secondary theological matters. We love by striving at all times to preserve the bond of the unity of the Spirit. We love by praying with one another. And above all else, we love by laboring in God's grace to enable others to enjoy Jesus as their supreme pleasure, treasure, or pleasure. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? I want to pray for you this morning, and 
I know we say that every week, although it hasn't been every week because it's been three months since we've been able to do this. But I want to take this time uh, to sort of like rid distractions, to center our hearts and our minds on the Lord. And there's a few different people in this room that as I was praying for this morning that I felt like the Lord was kind of identifying. So I want you to bow your heads, um, hold two hands in the air, and then one, and then two. No, I'm just kidding. That's totally, I'm totally joking with you. Um, I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to think about this. There's some of you in this room that right now God is moving in your hearts. Like you can sense him doing something, speaking something to you right now. And I encourage you this morning to respond to that. Don't leave this place before you respond to what it is God is asking of you or saying to you, doing in you, through you right now. Um, some of you, there's some of you that need to ask for forgiveness because of the way you've hijacked God's love and you've made it about you. And if you know that's you this morning, God in his infinite grace and forgiveness is not mad or looking to crack the whip on you. He simply wants relationship fully restored. He wants reconciliation in all things. He loves you. He desperately loves you. And some of you have been running from him for years out of fear and anxiety or prior circumstances in your life, you just have kept running and you've just not wanted to sit in a moment and just like do time with Jesus and say, Lord, have your way in me. God, if there's a wicked way in me, Jesus, have your way. And he wants to grant you that forgiveness. He wants you to leave here this morning in total peace. And then there's a third group of you in, this in here this morning that literally have never known God's love. And I want to encourage you this morning. At 17 years old, I surrendered my life to Jesus, and I've never looked back. There's been some really tough stuff that's gone on, but like, I knew that I loved Jesus. And some of you, you're at this kind of crossroads in your life, like, am I in or am I out? And saying that you're in actually means maybe leaving behind some things that you've held on to. It means starting over for some of you. Um, but this morning, I think God's asking you, like, are you in? Like, he wants to be with you. And the way that we become with God and have relationship with God is by trusting in, having faith in, believing in the work that Jesus did on that cross. He paid a massive price for us massive sacrifice so that we could be restored to him with him that we could be granted salvation and Jesus didn't stay on that cross he rose again and he sent the power of his Holy Spirit to live in those that have called upon his name to be their guide to be their counselor some of you have wondered like I don't know what to do in life I'm asking God all these questions turn to the Lord this morning he's speaking he wants to lead you and direct you he wants you to surrender your heart and your life to him. This morning, if you maybe like me have found yourself at a place where maybe you have a love problem, and when I say that, I just mean maybe you've lost focus and um, Jesus has 
sort of been removed from the center and you're doing all these things to try to be like God, but you just have not been with him, I invite you this morning to be with him, to recenter your heart and your mind and your life on the one true thing that will withstand all time, this one that's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, God himself. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the work that you do in us and through us. I thank you, God, for transformation. And I pray for our church, Lord, your church, that uh, she would not be uh, a people that just runs sort of aimlessly in doing all the right things, but yet forget their first love. And so I pray this morning, God, that there just be a consecration of this church right now where we just say, Lord, this is yours. It's yours. Have your way with this group of people. Jesus, would you move through her in a powerful way? God, would you reorient and recenter everything we do so that it revolves around you, God? May our worship in song be pleasing to you, Jesus, a time for us to give honor and praise to you. Jesus, would our, our repentance and, and our times where we're just coming to you asking forgiveness, would it be real and authentic? And would we come before you and lay our burdens down, cast our cares upon, upon you, take upon your yoke that is easy and light, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for your peace to have its way through every soul in this room. God, I pray for your rest. And I pray, Jesus, for your love to be in us, amongst us, and moving through us. God, that our city would see the love that exists amongst this group of people. And they'd say, what is going on there? I want that. They would see Jesus in the way that we treat one another, the way we talk to one another, the way we bear with one another, the way we have grace and forgiveness for one another. God, would they see the ultimate gospel story being lived out by the way that we love each other. I thank you, Jesus, for each soul present in this room this morning. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray that they would not leave here today um, without knowing that they've encountered the living God. And I pray that you would go with them, Jesus, wherever it is they go, and you would use them like that man in the coffee shop to be uh, your hands and your feet in places around this county, wherever you place them. Lord, may they see differently. May they hear differently. May they constantly be looking for opportunities to love on, to stand with, to see people, to know people, to, to intentionally take time and sacrifice of their own time and, and money in order to invest in people because that is good work, God. And so I pray you'd make yourself known through your church, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. As we take some time to worship, I encourage you. We're going to sing a couple songs. Sing to Jesus. May this be like the most joy-filled time we've experienced because we're not singing to a dead God. We're singing to an alive God, a God who's with us this morning. We're praising his name. We're worshiping him. We're thanking him for all that he has done in us and through us. And so I pray that during this time, as we take some time to, to worship, that some of you, if you need to do time with Jesus, you can sit in your chair and do that. You can stand and do that. If you want to worship, worship, whatever it is, spend this time, this few minutes that you get encountering the living God so that you will never leave the same as you came. In Jesus' name, amen.